You are live. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for taking the time to spend your Friday morning with us. Um, also at Piper Sandler, we hope that you and your loved ones are safe and healthy. So this is week three of our um, third in PSH Friday series. Um, this one is called The New Power Brokers featuring Silicon Carbide. We have an exciting lineup today featuring Chuck Matera, CEO of 2.6, Greg Knight, CEO of GT Advanced Technologies, and a team from Cree that features uh, their CTO, John Palmer, uh, the Senior VP and, gross, uh, and General Manager of Wolfspeed, Genzik Balkas, and, and Troy Gronbach. Hit Tyler Gronbach, sorry. Uh, Matt, do you mind moving to slide number four? So wanted to spend a second on why silicon carbide. There's a couple of um, very huge benefits. Uh, it has 10x the advantage in switching. Uh, it has uh, a tremendous amount of power density versus silicon up to three times. Uh, the density it provides huge advantages in things like 5G uh, power amplifiers, where you can um, you know get 2x the number of users per tower. It is also very small and efficient when compared to um, compared to silicon. Uh, Matt, would you move to the next slide, slide five, please? Um, so, what are the major applications for silicon carbide? Uh, electric vehicles, RF and industrial and energy infrastructure. Uh, all of them are important, and I will point out, obviously, as you guys know, all of them are happening right now, particularly EVs and RF with 5G. Uh, the three end markets, next slide, please, Matt. Uh, the three end markets, in 2024, the materials market, which is primarily silicon carbide wafer, can be 1.8 billion in our estimate. The RF power market associated with 5G could be a 2 billion market in 2024. And finally, the device market, the power device market could be a $5 billion opportunity, and that would target the industrial and the automotive. Uh, next slide, please. Um, Want to take a second to talk about EVs. This is a big deal. Um, the cost of uh, silicon carbide per car could be about $200 tops. The savings, on the other hand, could be you know, $400 or $800. Plus, on top of that, you get the increased mileage, you get the fast charge, just a huge amount of intangible benefits. Um, and the last slide, uh, stat on this slide is very interesting. Uh, the OEM can save 20 to $60 million per $100,000 um, uh, cars, 100,000 units of cars. Uh, next slide, please, Matt, slide number eight. Uh, this is the last slide I think that we have. Um, this, is, this material, silicon carbide, is incredibly hard to work with. Uh, it basically melts. You have to take the temperatures in the crucible to half the temperature of the sun 2,500 degrees centigrade. It has no liquid state. That's one of the big issues. It goes straight from solid to vapor. And there's tons of fake and useless isotopes or extra materials you get along the way uh, before you actually get to the, um, to the correct one. Uh, we're going to skip slide nine. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to my good friend and colleague, Troy Jensen. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Harsh. Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, we're honored to have Chuck Matera, CEO of 2.6 with us. Um, you know, with that, Chuck, I'm just going to hand it off to you. I know you got some slides you want to run through and quickly discuss uh, 2.6's exposure to silicon carbide. And at the end, uh, we'll uh, tee up some Q&A. So take it over. Hey, thank you very much, uh, Troy. And thank you very much, Harsh. It's great to be here on this uh, Friday morning. I want to acknowledge Piper Sandler for always doing a great job especially on this topic as it relates to the intersection between markets, technology, and efficient capital management. 
is really a great uh, contribution to the industry. Since the Finisar acquisition, we've demonstrated the advantages that accrues from a 2-6 culture of preparation, alignment, and speed of execution around the world that underscores the integration progress that we've made. We've executed precise our priorities and are working to maintain this high 2-6 standard of excellence. In the backdrop, our planet teams and in collaboration with our global emergency response and business continuity planning teams, we were able to bring all of our China facilities back to normal by the middle of March. It was a remarkable accomplishment for which the whole team deserves great, great recognition and which carries on right through and in, into this uh, quarter. In addition to our, our top three priorities, which I laid out for the company and investors to hear clearly, employee safety, hygiene and, and security of the facilities, full compliance with the law as we execute our mission. In addition to that, we delivered an extraordinary third quarter. For Q3, we booked $840 million of orders, ended with a record backlog of $893 million. We delivered $627 million of revenue, and our margins on a gap and non-gap basis were strong. Our differentiated capabilities, extensive and technology portfolio, including our silicon cryo materials, our global scale and diversified footprint allowed us to demonstrate our leadership position while serving the optical communications market where strong demand led our growth. This is the third consecutive quarter of strength that we've recorded. In addition to the profound changes we're seeing in the optical communications market, silicon carbide for RF wireless applications grew 75% compared to last year. Adoption is accelerating, and as an example, we're shipping under our large agreement announced last quarter at a faster rate than it's driving a 5% growth sequentially. Our silicon carbide capacity expansion plans, which I'll talk a little more about in a few minutes, remain well on track for power applications as we believe that the market is still in the very of a very long game. Okay, so over to the uh, presentation, Harsh. Okay, great. So um, thanks a lot for joining us for investors who know our story and also those of you who are joining uh, this morning and are new to the story. We started investing in these materials in the late 90s. And we are, as a materials company, focused on the long-term value proposition associated with landscape chain materials that have functional properties that allow our customers and their customers to differentiate their products. So our focus has been on at first on developing and scaling the RF semi-insulating silicon carbide materials for which we believe we have the very best um, materials in the world, in the market. And um, we use that, that um, platform as a, or a market rather, as a driver of our platform. And our platform includes the proprietary crystal growth reactor technology that's allowed us to be able to scale the yielded output uh, from for 10 years. So the productivity enhancements that are coming are coming about in part on the basis of our knowledge of the tool, the material, and the process technology itself. So let, let, me, um, let me go 
onto the next slide as I talk about this at scale. Um, I'm, I'm quite proud to be part of this team. When I joined the company as, as a board member in 2000, the, the company had just acquired the assets from Northrop Grumman, the former Litton Airtron. And when I returned as an executive in 2004, this business had low single digit millions of sales and was driving for a long-term vision, a 20-year vision to get a 2020. And I'm, I'm really quite proud to say they have done a remarkable job in setting a strong foundation for 2.6. So if you take a look at the 627 million in sales that I just talked about, um, and, and again, uh, 22,000 people working across the world in 18 countries, materials focused with, with our sales, 21% in China, for those of you who, who are interested in just about 50% coming from the U.S., but strongly focused today on optical communications. If you go to the next slide, please. Okay. Every company has a, has a focus on strategy. Strategy means to decide, in short. And one of the most important things that you, you do when you're focused on building your strategy or revising it is what you're going, going to do and what you're not going to do. And our core competency and our focus is on bringing functional performance advantages through materials to optoelectronic devices. We're differentiating at the component and the subsystem level by employing our materials technology and capability for lasers, optics, and integrated circuits. And we are enabling as the largest provider of optical communications components and subsystems convergence of communications and sensing. However, efficient use of electricity and power generation and the electrification of the world, which is a major megatrend for the whole of the 21st century, relies on silicon carbide materials. So our innovation strategy, which is to focus markets that we can diversify using our platform to address multiple segments, just like we do with silicon carbide addressing RF and optical uh, wireless communications, as well as the power electronics from the same platform so that we can have capital intensive, um, cost effective, scalable operation that's in our control. Relying on other people to be able to, to build your equipment and to not be able to include your trade secrets, your product know-how, and your sustainable competitive advantage is a, is a shortcoming. So we're focused on those kind of markets that, that are process intensive and require engineered materials to be able to differentiate. And while I'm not gonna talk today about diamond, CVD diamond, I am going to um, uh, hit on the comment that you made, Harsh, about the importance of the, the, the subsystem effect of displacing silicon power electronics with silicon carbide and, and the advantages that come from power consumption and from size and weight as well and volume. And thermal management is part of the, the equation. And we have a unique ability in the marketplace that we have a, a, a thermal management platform, both in, 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 in engineered ceramics as well as CBD diamond materials. And we think that'll provide us with a a roadmap in the future to be able to incorporate disparate materials into the same products for functional advantages that no one else can do. And we're thinking about the world that way. 
So let's go on to the next slide. Okay, we are um, across the company um, addressing these strong and um, uh, multiple growth markets. I'm, I'm not going to uh, spend a lot of time talking about the, the gallium arsenide and indium phosphide based laser market or um, the aerospace and defense market today, except to say silicon carbide power electronics will have a play into the aerospace and defense market. It will be a niche market. It is a niche market, but it will be a growing niche market, and we intend to address it. Regarding RF and power electronics, um, well, Arsh has already given us a real clear value proposition for the materials and segmentation of the market, a view, uh, his view for 2021 to 2024 growth. By and large, it is a very, very exciting market for us. And although at a sub 10% of our revenues today, we are investing a substantial amount of our, our R&D and capital into scaling the platform and our management bandwidth as well. And we do expect over that time frame that this business will outpace the growth both of the company and of the market. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Um, our footprint uh, for this uh, business is growing. And it's growing um, when, when you think about 2-6 as we started, um, in Pinebrook, New Jersey, if you look in the upper right-hand corner, that's, a, that, that's the core where our Crystal Growth uh, Technology Center started after we started this business in the late 90s in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania. We consolidated our Crystal Growth operations about 15 years ago, all into Pinebrook, New Jersey, and then moved it to eastern Pennsylvania as part of an expansion. Not, to, not a move, but a duplication. Our facility in Eastern Pennsylvania gives uh, close proximity to our team in, in uh, New Jersey. They're able to go effectively travel back and forth. We have low cost power and we, we just entered recently into an agreement to be able to expand a substantial size of our crystal growth footprint in Eastern Pennsylvania to accommodate more than just our five-year plan growth. In Starkville, Mississippi, we have a wafer finishing center um, not on this slide is a is a another wafer finishing center which is which is du duplicating um, the technology to be able to scale for the market and that's in China and we should be able to bring that wafer finishing center to a uh, close here in the next two or three months and begin to address not only the China but the Asian um, EV market with uh, silicon carbide wafers. Champaign, Illinois, we have built out a clean room. It's all ready to go to accept MOCVD tools for silicon carbide and GAN on silicon carbide to accommodate our aspiration and view of our opportunity to expand by offering our customers epitaxial wafers. And finally, in Warren, New Jersey, we announced our partnership with Sumitomo Electric, and we are proceeding very aggressively on the track to get qualified with our silicon carbide wafer fab. And we're expecting that uh, qualification to come to an end by the end of this calendar year to begin ramping in, in Q um, in the March quarter of ne uh, next year. That capability takes full advantage of our six inch semi-insulating silicon carbide substrate and uh, six inch uh, compound semiconductor wafer fab in Warren, New Jersey. at least for an epitaxial partnership with Sumitomo 
for Gano Sources for the commercial market. Okay, um, let's go on to the next slide, if you would. Okay, this business is a, um, um, it's a, it's a little bit like farming. You have to take time to plant seeds. And seeds are a real important part of this technology, in fact. And expanding the uh, diameter and reducing the cost is only one part of the ticket. But being able to control the dislocation density, the defect density, and the materials properties precisely at the substrate level will impart the best quality and the best reliability and long-term uh, device performance for more advanced, high voltage, high power um, FETs and JFETs and MOSFETs that will come and are coming already. So we started out um, just, as I said, a little more than 20 years ago, and we have done some very, very substantial transformations in the company. And we are at the moment um, focused on both 100 millimeter and 150 millimeter manufacturing, but we're in the process of, of scaling our 200 millimeter capability. And even though it's not on this chart, I've challenged the team um, within a reasonable period of time to demonstrate a first 300 millimeter uh, silicon carbide power electronics ingot as a starting point for shifting the thinking of what's to come. Okay, let's go on to the next, uh, substrate, uh, next uh, slide, please. With regard to our substrate capacity, um, we have uh, have the ability, since we control the equipment, our ability to be able to scale it and to enhance our performance of our processes by changing, modifying, or improving either the design of the hardware or the interface with the information systems, the process control. But we have been, been um, very careful to be able to scale our volume with the market and to be maybe one or two steps ahead. And from time to time, um, we might be a half a step behind. But I'm quite confident that we have adequate capacity in place today with very high quality, a roadmap to even higher quality while we uh, think through and in, in, in concert with our customers, how we're going to need, how we're going to be able to and need to scale the capacity. So I believe that in the next five years, we will have to, and we're planning to scale our capacity by anywhere five, ten times. And by the way, we, we will have space, power, and matching wafer finishing capability around the world, including in China, that would allow us in this time period to even increase beyond this should the marketplace uh, give us a signal that they need it. And maybe, um, I, I can't see the, the clock um, portion. I think that's the end of my prepared remarks. Oh, one more slide. Okay. Just to hit on the, um, just to come back to the marketplace again. Everyone are talking about being able to scale for cost and, and, um, and to fully utilize 200 millimeter silicon fabs by backward integrating with silicon carbide. Everyone are talking about getting to 200 millimeters. And, and we, we will get there as an industry and as a marketplace for sure. And our, our, our desire, even though we were first to announce it, our desire is not, is not, not necessarily always 
to announce. Our desire is to, is to be on time and to be able to provide the best that money can buy. And you need to be measured in, in, in time and measured in your investments and careful about how you approach it. But I'm quite confident that, that our, our form is scalable and it will be an important part of a growing electric vehicle and sustainable energy infrastructure for EVs, for hybrids, and also for data centers. Um, I mentioned the aerospace and defense market for uh, uh, photovoltaics and, and a whole host of other power factor correction applications that will have decades, if not for the rest of the century to come. We're really excited about that. In the meanwhile, um, the, the 5G market and the 4G market as well continue to grow and, and uh, customers are, are customers and their customers continue to do us as part of the ecosystem and supply chain. And that continues to be a real strong business for us today. Arsh, see if there's one more. I don't think so. That's it. If you leave that up, I, I like that as if we, as yeah. we through the next few minutes. Perfect. Uh, awesome, Chuck. Thanks for the intro. We got about 20 uh, minutes of Q&A here. So uh, I'm going to start out with a few of them here, but um, could you provide us a, an update? I know you did any prepared remarks, but just the COVID, the implications on your manufacturing for silicon carbide, uh, carbide um, you know, when can we get to, it sounds like you had talked about getting back to 100% utilization, but when I just think about spacing of employees, scattered shifts, you know, are you truly at that or how long before we can uh, get back to 100%? Okay. Um, as it relates to our, our silicon carbide business, um, we, we're managing it no different than we manage and the approach and philosophy we take in every place. According to my top three priorities, which I won't repeat, the, um, the, the careful attention to that level of detail and the um, partitioning of, of operations have allowed us to be able to continue and sustain our operations at a pace that we had before. And it's a, it's a tribute to the leadership team of the company and especially to the dedication of our employees. I don't see that as a, as a factor in the short term. It could happen that, um, that in the future, if the virus, you know, reemerges and recirculates and the like, we could have to confront something like that. But at the moment, the, the care that we're providing and the attention and resources we're providing to keep the facilities secure and hygienic and the employees safe have really been effective. I want to say that. All right, fair. All right, so sticking with COVID, can you just talk about, let's talk about the two big markets, you the RF market, you the implications with the outbreak. You know, to me, it seems like you know, these work from home initiatives or stressing networks, bandwidth consumption is increasing, 5G deployments probably on track. So um, just curious to see if you've had any changes in your RF um, expectations here with uh, COVID. Okay, as I mentioned in, a, in our March quarter, we did see a real strong uh, demand for RF, uh, another increase from the, uh, the multi-year uh, booking that we announced. When we announced it, I, I, I was asked, I think by you, and I, I said that um, I wasn't sure, but we probably would work that order off as, as fast as two years, as, as slow as three years. That was our best view at the time. In the last 60 days or so, for sure, we're on a pace to work it off faster than uh, three years. We're closer to two. So the, 
The RF market seems to be uh, quite strong. And given the announcements, not only by one, uh, one OEM provider of wireless base station electronics, but all the major wireless base station electronics recently, including their, their successful penetration from Europe and the U.S. into, into the China market, it kind of feels like the market is poised for uh, considerable and sustainable growth in the, in the uh, near term. Right. Chuck, so did you say in your prepared remarks that this segment was up 75%? I thought I heard that. Um, well, is it not, not the this, not this segment. RF? Troy, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what I meant, that subsegment. Okay, then how about, uh, is there any Huawei exposure uh, you're concerned about here with the RF business? Well, we, we, we're paying attention to the, the orders and the rules that come into place by the U.S. government for, for all of the, um, you know, the contemporary uh, um, trade issues. As it relates to, uh, to the supply chains of, of our large Chinese customers, we've been clear, even with our recent disclosures, about the, the impact that we, we understand, um, the, the essentially no impact that we understand to our business as of today. Okay. If that situation changes, yeah, exactly. Changes substantially. It'll 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 surely change for us because we'll be in full compliance with the law. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see how that escalates. But uh, and then shift into EV. And I know you hit some of this in prepared remarks, but you know, auto exposure is likely negatively impacted, right? With all the outbreaks here, higher unemployment, fewer new EV start, uh, sales. Um, it seems like there's also been an impact in design momentum internally and externally within the automotive market uh, with everyone working from home. So just your thoughts on how the EV segment changes it in the next couple of years with this. Um, I think it's, it's a, it's hard to tell right now. It's easy to be reactive and it's dangerous to be reactive. If, if you listen to the narrative of, of customers and other suppliers and participants in the supply chain, and if we talk to customers, they're as bullish before as they are now. And it makes sense that they should be. Because this value proposition has both a sustainable and sustainable economic advantage. So what was true before the virus came is still true today. Sure. And it, it may slow down some of the design inactivities, but actually, I think that the those people who are intent on transforming their businesses by utilizing this advantage, they will continue their R&D investment and continue to get ready because now's the time for them to be ready. You get organized to fight the next war, not the last one. Yeah, fair. All right, Chuck, I'd love to dive in a little bit on, on pricing, right? So I know, you know, pricing coming down can be a catalyst, right? It becomes more easier for more things to adopt the technology. Um, I think, you know, you, you talk about doubling the capacity, your production capacity every, I want to say 12 to 18 months. I think if you look into the just reported quarter, I think your carbon, our silicon carbide business is up about 14% year over year. So clearly there's some ASP erosion and that's good and bad, but can you just talk about competition in the space and yeah, how, I clearly understand how you differentiate, but just talk about what's happening with ASPs and what will that do to the market ultimately? Okay. There, there's no conversation that we ever have with a customer that doesn't include pricing. 
it's, it's simply a, a, an economic reality. It's a business reality. But in this business, and like all the other businesses that we participate in, our value proposition is tied not only to price, but our competitiveness starts out with our quality. And, and if you want to be in a business where you're putting these electronics into long-term reliability um, uh, systems, like automobiles, electric trains, elevators and skyscrapers, and in, in mission critical military operations, and reliability are key. So we like to be competitive, and we have been competitive in the marketplace with regard to pricing, but this is not a marketplace which has as much price intensity as it does quality intensity. And so prices, prices have to come down and prices have come down. But in my opinion, the, the, the greatest single can come to a company like 2.6 and its customers is to have the best material that can help overcome all the disadvantages that have known from it and to face all the known advantages of silicon. That's the mission we're on. Yep, fair. Has foreign wafer manufacturing closed the gap at all with respect to you know, quality? You know, what does market share look like now versus maybe a year or two ago? Has there been any emerging newer players to, to watch? Well, I, I, I think the, um, uh, first of all, we don't have a comprehensive analysis every quarter of what the world's competitive position is like. So to be able to make a positive, definite, or negative, definite statement, I would be real careful about it. However, um, I expect fully that this market will be so big inside the next 10 to 20 years that it's only normal to attract a lot of people into it. Okay. Uh, however, if you look at our 20-year timeline, you have to be able to understand that this business cannot be slapped together by anybody, no matter how much money you have, in a short period of time and be successful. That's not what these materials-based businesses are about. And the, and the construction of device models on the basis of this materials platforms also take plenty of time to, to uh, um, unfold. So I, I do expect the competitive landscape to increase, Troy. That's part of our, our um, expectation and our anticipation. And, and we love to compete, and we think that we're well-equipped to compete, and we intend to step it up on that assumption. Yep, okay. All right, how about quick, uh, let's talk about just capacity expansion. I know you hit it in your prepared remarks. I'm curious to know if with the Finisar acquisition and now you're consolidating all the operations, I mean, it seems like you're no longer doing Vixels and Warren, right, moving that down to Sherman. Um is that really what's freeing up a lot of capacity in some of these fabs that's allowing you to add um, carbide capacity quickly? Uh, our silicon carbide, um, uh, not, not exactly, Troy, but let, let me correct one thing. Before I talk silicon carbide for a second, let me correct one thing that you maybe think. We are manufacturing large quantities of 3D sensing pixels yeah. every day in, in Warren. Oh, you are? Okay. We that's are. Not, that's we not making good. We, we, we are also manufacturing large quantities of Vixels every day in Sherman. No. 
So we have two wafer fabs that are manufacturing 3D sensing pixels today in the company. In addition to our epitaxial wafer facilities in Sherman and in Champaign, Illinois. Mm-hmm. In addition, and Warren, we are completing the qualification again on silicon carbide, and we manufacture gallium arsenide ICs there as well. So there's no silicon carbide wafer finishing in Warren. It's in a dedicated facility. Okay. It's in a dedicated facility in Pinebrook, New Jersey. It's in a dedicated facility in Starkville, Mississippi, and it's about to be turned on in a dedicated facility in Fuzhou, China, in China. to be able to, to be able to address the, the the demands and to keep balanced the crystal growth capacity five to ten x that I mentioned, along with our wafer finishing and inspection uh, technology. As we as we continue to invest in the materials technology, both in Pinebrook and will in the future in Champaign for silicon carbide epitaxial wafers. Make sense? Yes, it does. Um, So next question here, we've got about nine minutes left, it looks like. um, Let me see. I just had it here. Uh, Okay, that's the uh, wafer diameter expansion, right? So uh, you're talking about scaling manufacturing of 200 right now. Can you give us just like percentage-wise, is that still a, a small, small piece of kind of total production? And, and how does margin improvements you know, happen as you shift more and more to these uh, bigger wafers? Everybody um, everybody who, who's going to buy a 200-millimeter substrate from us is going to expect higher quality, at least the same, parity and quality or higher. And they're going to expect and want uh, the benefits associated with a cost reduction per square millimeter or cubic millimeter of material. That's going to happen. Um, and and I, I believe that it will, it will happen. We're prepared for that. We anticipate that. But we're also anticipating a substantial increase in demand that will accrue from it so that our overall margin profile will be able to expand as well. So that's part of our equation. It's a tough, it's a tough, um, tough task to be able to make it all happen. Today, it's a small percentage of our sales, 200 millimeter, and and we won't be willing to step it up and release it into the marketplace until we're satisfied that once we go, we can achieve the task that we have, which is parity and quality or higher to offer a competitive price and to be able to improve our margins. Yep. Okay. So, Chuck, when I look at that, that chart, it seems like the time to demonstrate the new uh, uh, wafer diameter expansion to manufacturing has extended, right? So, you know, it seems like it's been a couple of years now since you demoed 200 versus manufacturing. When do you think we start to demo the next higher um, diameter? Is it 250? Is it 300? We, uh, we, yeah. We, 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 I talk to customers. I talk to um, they. Some some laugh at me, and some some just smile when I talk about 300 millimeters. Um, and everybody reminds me that they that they don't need any more than 200, but they'd like to be able to get 200 at scale for the price of a hundred year substrate. They all tell me that, and then I I I sometimes laugh and I sometimes smile. <laughs> All right, uh, a couple more questions here. 
Um, changing topics too. So just an update on power opportunities outside of automotive, how have things like industrial, fast charging, solar, you know, progressed for your company? Uh, there are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of small innovators around the company, around the world rather. And, you know, coming to the, to the company, we, we've been selective about the people that we, we work with because w- whether it's for onboard charging or for power factor correction or for the entry into consumer electronics products, you know, you, you, you can't work with everybody. Everybody's not just not going to be successful and it takes time to get qualified. But I, I'm absolutely sure that the variety of these options will begin to accelerate inside the next, inside our five-year plan. I mean, onboard charging is already a given. Um, it, it's already happening. Onboard the car, it's already happening. Um, inside the uh, aerospace and defense market, I think it's going to happen. In the photovoltaic market, it will happen more. But again, the silicon technology is has to, you know, we'll fight back. It will do everything it can to hold its ground. And that's what I said earlier. Our challenge and our determination is to step up with our investments and our execution and our strategy to be able to be as bold as we can to make it really difficult, even for the silicon a, a user, not, not, not to choose this material and to choose us as part of the supply chain. Yep, all right. How about uh, this? Uh, so when 2.6 doesn't win uh, silicon carbide design, um, what are the major reasons why? Uh, I, I would say maybe the, the maybe the number one reason might be in those cases where a customer does not want to buy the substrate from us, but wants to buy an epitaxial wafer with our substrate. And in that case, if they have um, if they have a supplier of epitaxial wafers, if we're not in that supply chain will be blocked from That's one of the reasons why we'd like to be able to get one of the many reasons besides, besides both revenue and profitable growth and being able to address the needs of our customer. That's another reason why we need to put the silicon crop if we keep it in place. That's number one. Number two, we, we, we either missed a window of opportunity because we didn't didn't know about it or we didn't address it on time, but there are very few of those that I'm aware of. I think the number one reason is is one the epitaxial wafers, two priority for us, or just missing a market window, and then the number three we've been booked up and sold out. And every time that we, we want to dedicate some of our capacity to something else that seems to be big and broad and long-term in the last 24 months, it's, it's really been consumed. So we have a plan now to, to do something about that. And we're already adding extra capacity today to be sure that we're ready because we think that all of those automotive companies and then some are going to prioritize this material, these devices, and this technology as part of their post-COVID-19 recovery and investment plans. Yep, okay. 
And so just to hammer home here, just to end this, um, you know, 2.6 is sustainable competitive advantage to you in silicon carbide is, I mean, it seems like it's quality, consistency, but uh, go ahead, take it away. Quality, scale, and speed. Speed of? Speed of execution. Speed of being able to scale to meet the market window and market demands. Yep. All right. Perfect. One Troy. Quality is number one. Yep. That seems to be the message uh, that uh, that I'm picking up from you, Chuck. So. Um, okay. I think I know you got your board meeting. You got to run off to. Uh, we really appreciate you squeezing us in before that, Chuck. Um, you know, Harsh, uh, let you just kind of quick say something for that. Yeah, hey Chuck, thank you for your time and uh, best of luck with your board meeting. We really appreciate your time and uh, everybody that's on the on the Zoom meeting today. We will be back at ten o'clock with GT Advanced Technologies. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks and I, 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 I thank you very much. I, I do want to acknowledge the the speakers uh, that will come after me for the contributions of their companies to the growth of our industry as well. And thanks again for, to Piper Sandler for this great opportunity. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Chuck. Stay safe. Thanks, Chuck.